Well, if you have a Bible, you might like to turn to Philippians chapter 4. We've been reminded already beautifully this morning by Megan of this verse that we've been, or these verses that we've been thinking about. And we come to the end of our time in this talk uh, series today of these beautiful verses. And today's talk is entitled, Hold on Tight. So as we come to the end of this series in Philippians, I really do hope that at this particular time, in this particular context, these verses have been helpful. I hope we've been reminded of some deep and powerful truths as we continue to navigate our way through this time of uncertainty. And I was just talking to somebody this morning who was reminding me that apparently the tier system is going to be until at least Easter, which means we've got a little way to go yet, doesn't it? I hope it's been helpful to be reminded of the ancient path that has been laid down by those who have gone before us. Here's one way of expressing the ancient path that might help us navigate through this time, and we've already done it together. I make no apology for reading it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace be with you. This is an ancient path that reminds us how we might navigate life in all its uncertainties and especially perhaps at such a time as this, an ancient path that encourages us in whatever circumstances we find ourselves to celebrate God's goodness. So, how are you doing, friends? An ancient path that invites us to ask God for his help. So, how are you doing, friends? An ancient path that exhorts us to cultivate thankfulness even in the midst of the challenges we face. So how are you doing, friends? An ancient path that challenges us to think about what we think about. So how are you doing, friends? An ancient path that contains a wonderful and powerful promise that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. So how are you doing, friends? At the beginning of this journey along this ancient path, I read this story, and I make absolutely no apology for reading it again this morning, and ask you this question. How are you doing? There was once a town in the high Alps straddled by the banks of a beautiful stream 
The stream was fed by springs that were as old as the earth and as deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed around the bottom of the stream. High in the hills... Far beyond anyone's sight lived an old man who served as keeper of the springs. He had been hired so long ago now that no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the river. But his work was unseen. One year the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer and given money to an unseen stream cleaner seemed to be a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went unattended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm waste turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. From time to time, no one, sorry, for a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the stream and the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play near it. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the stream that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened, the money was found, the old man was rehired. After yet another time, the springs were cleaned, the stream was pure, children played again on its banks, illness was replaced by health, the swans came home, and the village came back to life. The village depended on the stream. The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. So, How are you doing, friends? The New Living Translation of Philippians 4 verse 8 begins this way. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Fix your thoughts on what is true. The truth about fallen, flawed human beings like you and me is that it is in fact impossible for us always, every moment of every day, to think only about what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and excellent and praiseworthy. And that's not what Paul means because he knows what we're like. What he means and what we can do is to hold on tight to Christ. He is true and honourable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and excellent, and praiseworthy. And Jesus himself actually invites us to do just that. He says it this way. John 15, verse 4. Abide in me as I abide in you. 
Just as the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now that's the New Revised Standard Version. Other versions translate it, remain in me. But I like abide, it's stronger. Perhaps it's another way of saying, hold on tight to me. That's what a branch does, isn't it? It holds on tight to the trunk. But the truth is, even that is a challenge. We want to abide, we want to hold on tight, but it's sometimes hard to do. Perhaps it would be helpful for us to remember another truth that we thought about a few weeks ago. That God is to us like water is to a fish. That phrase has captured me, that God is to us like water is to a fish. Another way of saying that might simply be to say that God is closer than we think. He is as close as the air we breathe. And maybe, maybe there's a story that you are very familiar with that might help us here. It's a story you know well, and a story that is often misunderstood. It's the story of Mary and Martha. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had been made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Sometimes this story is understood to be about personality types. Mary is quiet, reflective, and values stillness. Martha is an activist and achievement-orientated. Martha is the classic multitasker. And already you know which one you are, don't you? And you also know which one Jesus values more and says is better, don't you? Unless... Unless there's a better way to understand what is happening in this story. It does appear that Jesus might be saying that to be with God, to be in his presence, you have to stop doing things. To be with God or to be in his presence, you have to be and not to do. However, there are plenty of places where Jesus tells stories about workers, people who do. In one story, and you know this well, he calls the man who does nothing wicked and lazy. He says in another that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He even says of himself that his food is to do the will of his father. Perhaps the truth in this story with Mary and Martha, is more about relationship than personality types. And perhaps it starts 
with a decision. And that's a decision, friends, that we all have the opportunity to make. The story, as Luke records it, is radical in nature. First, an unmarried woman, Martha, opens her home, Luke tells us, to a rabbi, Jesus. In her home, Martha's unmarried sister, Mary, lives. The implication of Mary opening her home to Jesus is that Jesus will spend the night in the home. This would be highly unusual behavior for a rabbi, even in a time that held hospitality in high regard. In fact, it would be shocking. But there's more. Mary, we are told, sits at Jesus' feet. Now Luke uses a technical term here to make a very important point about what Mary is doing. This is not a physical description about Mary sitting on the floor at the feet of Jesus in the living room. To sit at someone's feet was a way of describing a relationship between a rabbi and a disciple. To sit at someone's feet was to make a decision to follow a person, a rabbi. It was a choice about being with them. A disciple who was sitting at the feet of a rabbi had chosen to be with them as much as was possible so that they could learn everything they possibly could from their rabbi. And in ancient times, disciples would literally follow their rabbi everywhere, sometimes to ridiculous extremes. And there is a story of of a disciple even hiding under the bed in the bedroom claiming that he even has to learn about that from his rabbi. Just saying. First century Jews had a lovely expression that reflects this commitment. They would say this. They would say, may you always be covered by the dust of your rabbi. May you always be covered by the dust of your rabbi. Would you follow him so closely that the dust from his feet, the walking of his feet, fall upon you. It is an expression describing how closely a disciple would follow their rabbi. And what mattered was not so much what the rabbi was actually doing, it was about being with the rabbi as they did whatever they were doing. That's the point. Here's a deep truth. You can be sitting at Jesus' feet in any and every activity. You can be sitting at Jesus' feet in any and every activity. God is to us like water is to a fish. He is closer than we think. What is required is to invite him to be our teacher in any and every activity, in any and every moment, to invite him to be our teacher in any and every activity and in any and every moment. Jesus says that Mary had chosen the one thing that was needed. It wasn't to stop doing or to just be. What was needed 
was to be with Jesus no matter what was going on around her, to recognize his presence and to cling to him. Perhaps to hold on to Jesus is to wake every day and to ask to be covered with the dust of the rabbi and then to repeat that prayer throughout the day. I love that thought. To wake every day and to ask to be covered with the dust of the rabbi and to repeat that prayer throughout the day. And there's a detail in this story that we might miss. Until Jesus' day, no rabbi had ever had a female disciple. Never. Not one. Anywhere. Ever. Jesus, in that moment, is saying, anyone can be my disciple. Anyone. Absolutely anyone. God is like water to a fish for you. This is not a story about being or doing. It is about a choice to be with Jesus in everything. Now Martha struggles in a way that I am guessing that we all struggle with. What's important to understand in this story is Martha is not doing anything bad. She's not doing anything that is wrong. She's not doing anything that we might describe as sinful. Martha takes hospitality seriously and is concerned about the food, the state of the house, and all the preparations that have to be made when someone comes to stay. Luke doesn't say that Martha is too busy or overcommitted He says that she is distracted by all the preparations. That's an important distinction. She is distracted. It seems that Luke is saying Martha's heart is good. She wants to be with Jesus, but somehow she's let other things drag her away from actually being with Jesus. Now I'm guessing, because I reckon you're all like me in this way, That we all, if we're honest, recognize that in our lives. We want to be with Jesus, but we get distracted. Now, interestingly, the pressure for Martha to be doing all these things doesn't appear to come from Jesus, and it doesn't appear to come from Mary. And we can speculate as to where the pressure Martha feels to be busy with all the preparations comes from, but they become for her a distraction. Jesus then, speaking very tenderly to Martha, because he says her name twice, simply points out that only one thing is needed, to live continually in the presence of Jesus and be covered with the dust of the rabbi. Now, it may well be true that sometimes we must stop doing because the very doing is the distraction. But mostly, sitting at Jesus' feet means inviting him in to whatever we are doing in that moment. Jesus tells Martha that Mary has chosen what is better, and we misunderstand this too, because we understand it to be 
Mary is doing something better than Martha's doing. But there's a play on words here, the way Luke writes it. And better can be understood to mean a better portion, as in a portion of food. And this is lovely. In effect, it means that Jesus is saying to Martha, Martha, there's a banquet going on here, and I want you to enjoy the best food of all, to be in my presence. Mary has chosen to sit at the table, and I'm not going to take away the best food from her. Why would I do that? I wouldn't do it for her, and I wouldn't do it for you. But Martha, come to the banquet and eat. It reminds me of Psalm 23, verse 5, which says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God has prepared the best for us and wants us, desires us, invites us to be at the banquet. The banquet is given in the presence of our enemies, in all the circumstances that we face. And perhaps one of those enemies is to be distracted so that we never quite make it to the table. You notice the table isn't for when there is an absence of enemies. The table is prepared, ready, right in the middle of them. God is like to us, like water is to a fish. He is closer than we think. And only one thing is needed, the choice to live so continually in Jesus' presence as to be always covered by the dust of the rabbi. Maybe another way of saying that might be that it is to make a choice to hold on to Christ always in everything. Friends, it is true that some of life is spent, like Mary, in the living room where there's peace and quiet and contemplation. And actually, the truth is we all need those times, don't we? And many of us right now long for those times. But much of life is spent in the kitchen, like Martha, the place of work, the place we spend time, the place where we are occupied with doing. It is in the kitchen where we become worried and upset, and anxious, like Martha. And maybe it is here, like Martha, we need to learn to let go and invite the dust of the rabbi to fall on us. We need to learn to invite Jesus into the kitchen. We need to recognize the presence of God is as close as water is to a fish, as close as the air we breathe and to hold on tight to the truth that he is endlessly good, uncontrollably generous, and irrationally loving. That he has prepared a banquet for us to enjoy, if only we will make the choice to be with him and come to the table. I love this story. I've read it before, I make no apology about reading it again, but maybe it captures everything I think I've been trying to say. A Jewish couple had a son after many years of trying, and he was a great joy for them. 
They named him Mordecai, but he became quite a challenge for them. They were pious Jews, yet Mordecai was a rambunctious, zestful boy who had a love for life. When he was old enough, his parents sent him to the synagogue to learn the word of God. They stressed to him how important it was to learn God's word and that without knowledge of it, life would be less. He listened, but the next day he never arrived at the synagogue. Instead, he found himself in the woods, swimming in the lake and climbing the trees. By the time he got home, news of his antics had spread through all the village. Everyone knew of his shame. His parents were at a loss as to what to do. They called in an expert to modify Mordecai's behaviour. But the next day, he found himself in the woods, swimming in the lake and climbing the trees. His parents grieved for their son and felt he was, there was simply no hope for him. As it happened, the great rabbi was visiting the village and the parents of Mordecai went to him in desperation. They told him the story and the rabbi invited them to leave Mordecai with him. He said, leave him with me and I will have a talk with him. Unsure and ashamed, they left him with the rabbi. Mordecai faced the great rabbi trembling. He beckoned the boy to come to him and then simply and gently picked him up and held him silently to his heart. The next day, Mordecai went to the synagogue, and when he had finished, he went to the woods and swam in the lake and climbed the trees. Only this time, as he walked in the woods, the word of God became one with the words of the woods, which became one with the words of Mordecai. And as he swam in the lake, the words of God became one with the words of the lake, which became one with the words of Mordecai. And as he climbed the trees, the word of God became one with the words of the trees, which became one with the words of Mordecai. And Mordecai grew to become a great man. People who were seized with panic came to him and found peace. People who were without anybody came to him and found communion. People who had no exits came to him and found a way out. And when people came to him, he said, I first learned the words of God when the great rabbi held me silently to his heart. Friends, be covered with the dust of the rabbi. Let his words become your words. Let his thoughts become your thoughts. Let his ways become your ways. Let the things he hears become the things you hear. Let the things he sees become the things you see. Let the things he seeks become the things you seek. Let the things he loves become the things you love. Let his life become your life. Let his heart become your heart. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God.
and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the peace of God will be with you all. I've been invited to sing this song as I close this morning, which is maybe another way of saying exactly what I think I've been trying to say this morning. And the waves of fear starting to grow Doubts and questions are rising with the tide So I'm clinging to the one sure thing I know I will hold on to the hand of my Savior, I will hold on with all my mind. I will only sleep to things that are fleeting and hold on to Jesus. I will hold on to Jesus for life I've tried to hold many treasures that just keeps slipping through my fingers like sand but there's one treasure means more than breath itself so I'm clinging to it with everything I am I will hold on to the hand of my Savior I will hold on with all my mind. I will only sleep the things that are fleeting and hold on to Jesus. I will hold on to Jesus for life like a child holding on. To a promise, I will cling to His word and believe. 
as I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Oh, I will hold on to the hand of my Savior. I will hold on with all my mind. I will hold loosely the things that are fleeting. And hold on to Jesus. I will hold on to Jesus for life. I will hold on to the hand of my Savior. I will hold on with all my mind. I will hold loosely the things that are I will hold on to Jesus for life.